0: we're all about alignment with our investors. And when you charge a management fee, what you're really doing is you're being rewarded for your ability to raise capital, but not actually perform. And we, you know, again, we're very, very pro alignment with our investors, you know, anybody we work with. I mean, that's why I like your business model. So, you know, we, we said, you know what, we're not going to charge a manager fee on fund three. Uh, and we're going to retroactively eliminate the management fee on fun too.
1: Thanks for tuning in on the Altex podcast presented by Investive Capital, the world's first and only capital markets platform that's online and for the alternative investments industry. I'm your host, Saad, I'm the CEO of Investive, and in this podcast, we talk to unique and promising fund managers, successful investors, and industry experts. Our guests today are Aaron Merriman and Aaron Lujan from the Lujan Merriman Development Group based out of California. Now, these guys have been killing it with their multifamily real estate strategy, and they join us today to explain the secret sauce to their success. We are in a pandemic, so I'm home. Both Aaron's are home, and uh, we're going to be doing this over Zoom today, so let's get started. Okay, so... The first thing I wanted to know was, obviously, I spoke with uh, Merriman a lot, but Aaron Lujan, I haven't spoken with you before. Why don't we start with uh, a little background on the firm, um, how you guys both linked up and and what's been your experience in the past uh, in the real estate space?
2: Yeah, well, so Merriman and I met in 2005 uh, at a company called Massimo. We both graduated from USC, and you know, I, I had an early interest in real estate. My father invested in multifamily while I was growing up, <clears throat> so I knew at some point I'd get into the uh, the industry. It was just a matter of figuring out how to make that first purchase. So, you know, back in 2003, I bought a I bought a parking lot with my father, and it was in downtown Long Beach, in the East Village. Uh, District, and we we bought it because Long Beach at that time was the cheapest market in Southern California, unless you were in Oceanside or something. So, so anyhow, so I bought that. I was working at Massimo, and then Merriman uh, interviewed, and and I was actually one of the people that uh, interviewed him. I wasn't his boss, uh, but you know I was part of that group, and uh, we hit it off. We ended up talking about real estate during the entire interview because he had something from USC related to real estate. So, so from that point on, you know, we started talking about real estate, how we can do stuff together. And uh, Merriman, you, you should continue from there because I think uh, some of the stuff that you introduced kind of got us into raising investor capital.
0: Yeah, so we, you know, we as Luhan said, we met in 2005 and, you know, hit it off um, decided we want to do some real estate deals together um, and really, you know, started working with investors um, from, from the beginning um, in the first few years, you know, there wasn't any value to be had in, in '05, um, So we were actually doing some deals in Mexico for three years. Uh, okay. Yeah. And you know, once the market turned um, we came back to the U S um, you know, sold out of our positions in Mexico. Um, Preserve, you know, kept our investor capital, moved back, um, started buying low-income housing in uh, you know, Orange County, kind of where we live, expanded that into low-income multifamily in uh, Orange County, LA County, and then really pivoted again to what we're doing today um, in around 2012. And, and really what that is and what the strategy is based on is buying in A-plus locations in Southern California. Um, We're looking at multifamily apartments as far south as Laguna Beach in Orange County, hugging the coastline up to Santa Monica, uh, Pacific Palisades kind of area, and then inland through the Wilshire Corridor. So we're, you know, we're looking at cities, um, Beverly Hills, West LA, West Hollywood is a big market for us, and then really desirable areas of LA and Hollywood. Um, and that strategy, that strategy really, and why we evolved from that is we, we realized that, you know, when you build, when you build it, they will come right. So when you deliver the right product in the right market, the propensity to pay is there from the tenant. And so we're able to add a lot of great value to, to properties generate a really nice, healthy yield. And it's at a, it's at a much lower risk profile. Uh, And we're seeing that right now with what's going on with COVID-19, but it's a much lower risk profile because of the tenant that we're putting into the, into the building. Okay. Yeah, a lot to unpack there, but one of
1: the things that jumped out at me was that you guys did some business in Mexico. How was your work in Mexico related to the work that you do now or that you did in the States? Was it along the same types of, um, types of properties or is it different?
0: it was, it was different properties. I mean, we did some land plays, we, we built homes from the ground up. Um, but what I would say is, you know, dealing with, you know, cross border, a different culture. Uh, it was really trial by fire and a lot of lessons that we learned in that time. We, we talk about almost daily and, you know, remembering, and part of why we're so hyper-focused geographically right now with how we invest, Um, Is because of the proximity to where we live and we we know the markets we can make decisions very very quickly Uh, And it's it's a real competitive advantage in my opinion. I mean chime in Lujan,
2: but I you know Yeah, yeah, so So I think Mexico (laughs) We created a lot of parameters uh, Kind of principles that we operate by Uh, We made a lot of mistakes we continue to make mistakes, but certainly in that time we just started out, we were entering, you know, the peak, uh, 2006, seven, eight, and all of a sudden, boom, the market goes wacky. So we went through all that, kept our control, came back bruised, but we realized, okay, do we really want to be driving so much? Do we want to, what's an ideal uh, radius best in, based on where we live, how fast can we get to investment sites, et cetera? So, So we decided to get hyper focused on our own backyard. We started in workforce housing and was a very good thing right when the market crashed because everything was, was on sale. And you know, in some of the markets they were 50 to 70% lower than what they were at the peak. Now you didn't see those same depressed levels in the prime markets that we operate in now. So we were buying these assets really cheap. But one thing we learned was, you know, people didn't always pay. So we had way higher collection activities going on. We had way higher eviction operations going on. And when you add all those things in, it brings the yield down. So now fast forward to where we're at now, we really made this transition in 2013. Now we focus on literally our first two criteria, location, location, and after it's about the experience people when they walk up to a building. How does the building layout look and feel? Is there a common corridor? Do they have private entrances? And all those factors go into the experience and the experience directly impacts the rent level. So uh, I know I'm kind of going off the track, but, but yeah, all those things I think we, we got from our experiences back uh, at the beginning in Mexico. Pretty cool, actually. Um, so
1: you're saying that Mexico was prior to the crash and then afterwards when you refocused your strategy in the U.S., you took those lessons from Mexico, focused on an entirely local geographic area where you were able to impact immediately, and started out in workforce housing, then went more towards the core type of properties. How has that experience been in that transition, and and how did the investors react to it initially when they heard that you were switching up your strategies?
2: So so Merriman, do you want to talk about our investment products? Because during that time frame we were just debt so i don't think they they had any impact at all right no that's
0: correct during that time we were just working with investors through a debt product okay um, not our current equity fund model mm-hmm. so it's it's not really apples to apples um okay. but what i would say is just the fact that we were able to continually make our debt payments through all those t- difficult times. Yeah. People continued to re up with us. Um, and we're confident that we were just making the right decisions for the business, okay. you know, re- regardless of what it was. And, th- and that's proven out continually with, with the investor retention through the life of the debt product and then moving towards uh, and investing in our fund two and then currently fund three. Um, because again, they, you know they want to stay. They appreciate what we're doing, and the returns we're able to deliver. Glad you
1: mentioned that actually, because one of the things that first jumped out at me when you and I
0: first spoke, Merriman, was your retention rate. What is that? Yeah, so our, our retention rate is virtually a hundred percent. I mean, we we've had a couple investors over the years that you know we've we've uh, kind of more decided to part ways on our terms, um, but you know, it was nobody that was unhappy and said, I'm not getting the returns you promised this and that, and I want my money back. So we really pride ourselves, you know, Lujan mentioned experience and customer service on the tenant side, but it's it's the exact same philosophy with really anybody that we work with, whether it's a business partner uh, or an investor. We're very transparent. We do tours all the time for people that are in the area or people that want to fly in that are considering investing with us. So that Those are all things that we really try to do to um, you know, ha- make sure that we partner with the right investors as well, too. I mean, we've turned money down many times because we just weren't aligned with what they were looking for out of an investment and what our investment is. And we're not going to tell somebody what they want to hear just to get their money. You realize that's a big
1: feat, right? To be able to say that you almost have 100% retention rate. I
0: mean,
2: yeah,
1: of, the with, of the managers that I've dealt with, I, I don't think I've ever gotten anything uh, higher than a 95%. So that's one of the first things that made, you know, this whole thing stand out.
0: The other being that you
1: don't charge management fees.
0: Tell me about that. Yeah, no, that, that's correct. And I'll, and I'll let Luhan chime in on this as well. But we, um, you know, we, in our early days, we never charged any management fees. And when we launched Fund 2, which was our first true equity-based uh, fund that people would be familiar with, we, we did start it with a 2% management fee because that was kind of, you know, what's in the market, right? And based on the size of the fund, it was reasonable. Um, but we never really felt great about it. And when we launched Fund 3, we said, you know what, we're all about alignment with our investors. And when you charge a management fee, what you're really doing is you're being rewarded for your ability to raise capital, but not actually perform. And we, you know, again, we're very, very pro alignment with our investors, you know, anybody we work with. I mean, that's why I like your business model. So, you know, we, we said, you know what, we're not going to charge a management fee on fund three. uh, And we're going to retroactively eliminate the management fee, on fund two and when we made that decision we had closed the fund uh we had closed the capital raising window i mean there was you know we did not have to do that but we felt like it wasn't aligned and we didn't want to launch a new fund with a no management fee right after we closed one with
2: a two percent management fee okay do you have anything to add to that yeah it's all the alignment i mean basically you know, we're a hundred percent variable compensation when it comes down to it. So if, if we buy good buildings and are able to and stabilize and generate a profit, we can get paid. <clears throat> and we feel like with that narrative, uh, you know, it's pretty transparent. People go to the buildings, they see what we're doing. They see the rents, they even meet some of the tenants. So, I, I I think you know it's feel. It feels good for us when we do tours. It feels good. It feels right. So uh, that that's really and and Merriman summed summed it up perfect. But it's just all about alignment.
1: Okay. So currently, you said you're in Fund Three, right? Correct. Right. Fund Three. Okay. And a hundred million dollars um, approximately is what you're aiming for. Uh, zero management fee what type of returns are you expecting and what are the specific property
0: types that you want to focus on for this fund itself? do you want to touch on the property types first and then I can yeah. The other?
2: yeah so we're <clears throat> we're primarily multifamily uh, unit range can be two units it can be 20 plus what what we find is in order to get that the that we're looking for if, if we go too big you lose some of that then yep. you have common corridors and and that loses definitely uh the you know some some uh, some some tenant um desirability factor so so we found that you know those 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 mid-sized buildings from the six to 12 unit range fit yep. nice within our uh our acquisition criteria uh again location and i can't stress it enough it might as well be the first three bullet points but the better the location through a downturn we're always thinking about risk and the downside so the better the location the less downside we have from a risk standpoint and we're always about protecting protecting investor capital so with that in mind we're going to sacrifice on yields even though we made a sacrifice on yields, we're going to exit at lower cap rates in these good areas, so we'll more than make it up on the on the exit and overall. So even though, so we're targeting an eight to twelve percent return, but based on our performance, we suspect we'll do much better. Merman? Yeah, and and just to touch on the returns as well, right? You know, we we.
0: Fund three is targeting an eight to 12 IRR, two to three multiple, uh, our historical returns past are, are you know, higher than that. Um, but really the message that we want to send is that we are a, you know, we are a sustainable low risk option for folks. Um, we pride ourselves on quarterly distributions. That's the, that's the, you know, that's the, Oh, I didn't yeah, know that actually. Okay. Yeah. So that's the core of the fund. So, you know, the back to Lujan's comment on the investment profile, inherently we're buying smaller buildings, right? Um, Typically kind of in that two to $7 million price range, we typically can renovate and stabilize a billion, a building in that, you know, 10 to 15 month range. It kind of just depends on, you know, the size of the building, where it's located, that kind of thing. But that's a good rule of thumb. So we don't need to, you know, we have this $100 million target, but we already have three properties in the fund and we just buy properties, start renovating them and, you know, move through the life cycle of the fund, whether we get to $20 million, $50 million, $100 million, right? right? And, and everybody is getting their distributions. So once you get past that first year or so and that first batch of buildings that was acquired have been renovated and stabilized, you just start laddering up the distribution. So our, yeah, our goal is to do quarterly distributions. And if you look at what we did, uh, in the first, you know, 18 months of fund too, you know, that, that, that's the model, right? So, cause, because it's, it's not about putting your money in a 10 year fund and getting a big check at the end. It's the exact opposite.
2: Yeah. And I'll add that in that first 18 months, I think we've done three distributions. Is that correct, ma'am
0: Correct. And we're doing our fourth, you know, in June. Right. Okay. So one of the things
1: that actually comes through to me a lot, especially have been coming through now is that because of the whole COVID situation, investors are pulling out of a lot of the equity positions that they generally had, uh, especially in stocks. They're now going more into alternatives. Merriman, we've kind of had this conversation a little bit, Um, and I've been getting a lot more reports from our investors saying that they want to allocate away from things like private equity, away from the other things and going into more fixed incomes and going into more of real estate. Have you guys seen from your investor base, a similar sort of shift in dynamics? Um, and what other types of sort of patterns have you seen from your contacts about where their intentions and
0: appetites are going
1: towards real estate these days?
0: Yeah, so I can, I can definitely speak to that. Um, you know, we, we were all on you know, lockdown, super tactical, uh, you know, late February, March, April. Um, and then we started to see on the deal side, we started to see some stuff bubble up a little bit, right? And Lujan can speak to where we see the opportunities because Fund 3 is incredibly well-positioned from when we launched it to what's going on right now for the future. Um, but on the investor side, you know, we work with a, we work with a number of wealth managers and I talk to wealth managers all the time. I talk to our individual investors and there's definitely been a shift, um, in the last two to three weeks where people are saying, okay. And, and the, and the stock market rebounded has rebounded a lot faster than many people thought as well. Right. So it's all, there's a lot of psychology at play, but they're saying, okay, you know, I really got beat up. What's out there? What are you guys seeing in the market? Where do you see returns? And and they're looking for that flight to quality, which, you know, we're, we're incredibly well positioned for that because if you think about our whole entire strategy, it's taking a property that's, you know, probably kind of a C condition property, not a great tenant profile. um, But, but it's an amazing a location. And our, our model is really predicated on taking that building, completely reinventing it, right? We're doing a, you know, air conditioning and unit washer dryer. I mean, we're renovating it to compete with new construction. Okay. We're completely transforming the tenant profile and we're still in that A location. So it, it, it completely de-risks someone's investment. And that's very, very appealing for people right now. And definitely... You know, some of the family office contacts that I have and some of the other wealth managers who have some dry powder are really looking at, okay, yeah, I really like your guy's model. It's shining. You know, we haven't touched on rent collections yet in in April and May, but we've done very, very well there. So the, the, the model is really proven out. And I would say that, you know, it's times like this that we're a great, great position for people to be.
1: Yeah, and the fact that you guys have, what, a 10-year sort of a ask, then that really fits into the description of a lot of the family offices who are, you know, they're not just looking for high yield returns, they're looking for wealth preservation tactics and generational transfers and all of those things. I mean, those are the types of clients that are typically the ones that you would want to work with, though, right?
0: That's exactly right. I mean, the, the guy that comes along, and, you know, we've been doing this for 15 years, close to 10 years on our current strategy, right. but you know, the guys that come along that are the flipper types and they're looking for 20 plus returns, you know, those guys, they're, they're not right for us. And we tell them, you know, I just don't have the product that you're looking for. But if you're looking to, you know, preserve your capital, generate really nice yield, uh, the rule of 72, right? So that, that's the people that get it, those are the ones that we like to work with because they really are true Business partners, and not just somebody that's looking for a distribution every quarter.
1: Luhan Luhan, how do you get to these investors though? Like, how do you clarify this is my bucket, this is what I look for, and this is the whole world that's out there? How do you, you know, sniper that approach and get to specifically the people that you're looking to get to? Do you use third parties? Do you work with your own
2: team? How does that work? Are you Are you talking about Deal sourcing or 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 investor sourcing? Investor sourcing, but I do want to also hear about your deal sourcing as
1: well, because that's the very next question: is how do you disqualify okay. the properties and, and the stuff that I come your way?
2: Yeah, so so Mer- Merriman can talk to the investor sourcing, but on the deal sourcing, uh, that that's my my line. So so really, it's about relationships. Uh, again, we started in two thousand three. We formalized our partnership in two thousand five. Right. Ah, uh, and the way we've operated is we don't retrade. So, so we're all about, we do what we say. And if we go into a transaction, we like the deal. We we do aggressive underwriting, a lot of due diligence fairly quickly. And and because we're hyper-focused on the markets we're operating in, a deal may come up at 10 a.m. this morning and by 2 p.m., we know exactly where our parameters are with regards to that deal, and and most likely we've already seen that deal before. So we've had the uh, the benefit to look at look at that area or that the the characteristics of the transaction. But so again, we're we're relationship based. We worked with probably every top broker in Los Angeles um, and Long Beach. They know us. They know we don't retrade. We don't ask for any crazy contingencies you know and and what's interesting is a lot of times actually most of the time we're not the top price but we're a good a good bet to close so and and it's worked it continues to work we continue to get transactions uh we recently purchased five buildings three in long beach two in santa monica all or most were either trust sales or long time owners looking to exit the market solid buildings um, they weren 't looking to make a killing they just wanted a clean exit without a lot of fuss. a lot of these were transfers to beneficiaries or
1: right.
2: or just uh, you know stuff of that nature so and that 's kind of how it works i mean if you if you are an honest person and and you know a lot of what we do so We'll use these brokers and they expect something on the back end, not compensation, but when we go list a property to sell, you know, a lot of times those brokers that sold us the deal are going to get that listing. And as obviously they have to perform. And so, but yet that's kind of how, how we, uh, we get our deals for the most part. And then obviously stuff just comes up too. You answered
1: my very next question, actually, because I was going to ask, how is it that even if you guys aren't the top price sometimes, how is it that these guys are coming to you over all the course of the time that you've been working with them um, and not perhaps the competitor or etc. How have you been able to maintain those relationships?
2: Uh, it's probably like anything, you know? I mean, it's constant dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm meeting with... Uh, Two of the top brokers this coming Monday uh, in Long Beach, and if I mention the names, I mean they've been on the news, TV, you name it. Uh, again, it's just constant interaction. Um, they're taking a few of our buildings to market, and uh, yeah, I mean we just we just don't stop.
1: What exactly is your criteria for? type of investors you work with. If I were to create a profile for you, because anybody watching this will want to know do I fit into this category or not.
2: Yeah, so, so, and I'm going to kind of, Merriman brought up something earlier and I just want to chime in. So he mentioned that the stock market had rebounded and all that stuff. But so, And, and the great thing is Merriman, and I have different views. I have a more uh, cautious view and he's, he's more aggressive, but I think we complement each other. So, so my view is I'm seeing unemployment shoot way up. We, we got some really bad numbers today. Those unemployment numbers impact our rents. The rents impact our overall values. So that's concerning. Now, it's concerning over the short term. The good thing about Fund 3 is it's a long-term value-based fund. So I think in the long run, our yields and values will be fine based on what we're buying. But certainly right now, I think it's we're definitely cautious. Um, So our our ideal investor is someone that kind of gets that like, look, we're not going to try to get 20% returns right now. In 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, it was, I mean, there were some points where you could throw a dart and, you know, you get appreciation and things would go up and you get a 20% return and there it was, but I don't think we're there. Uh, we're seeing pressure on rents. Uh, we're seeing unemployment go up. So now we've had very good collections in April, and May. Again, we don't know what June, July, or August will look like, but our, our, our ideal investor would be someone that is not looking to hit a home run, but is looking to protect their investment capital and make a fair return. And we think a fair return is eight to 12%. And and that, that that's that's really I think in a nutshell what our ideal investor looks like. What about in terms of, what about in terms of geography? Um,
1: sometimes yeah, okay. you know that investors they prefer to invest locally, but then at the same time managers prefer to work with investors that are close to home. So, do you have any of those criteria when it comes to saying yes or no to an investor who wants to invest with you?
2: Yes, yeah, so I know Merriman's probably dying to chime in on this, but we have investors throughout the country. I mean. On our website, Merriman highlights a state every time we get someone in from a new state. And I, I think we have like half the country highlighted right now. So okay. geography really, and we, we even have an internet, some international investors. And again, Merriman can talk about it as well. But um, yeah, geography doesn't matter. I think people understand that California is a pretty de- desirable area, even if they've never been here. And yeah. everybody's heard of Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, West Hollywood. And those are areas that we're looking at continue. Awesome. Then
1: let's talk about COVID a little bit. Um, because obviously it's thrown a wrench into everybody's plans. Um, but it's not about you know the problems that you face, but it's about how you adapt around that. So what's been different so far that you've noticed, whether it's in regards to collecting rent, whether it's been in regards to finding deals, how has that affected your business?
2: Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely concerning. So we have about a a 2.5% say rent deferral rate. So tenants that have come to us saying, Hey, I just got furloughed. I got, no one have has gotten laid off. There's some managers that that work in restaurants that we rent to in West Hollywood, but that market is entertainment driven. So we're seeing a little more on the West Hollywood side. I mean, one in that market, uh, in Santa Monica, no one has stopped paying in good collections. In Long Beach, one tenant uh, in one of our smaller units not paying. I think when we add that up, it's about, I don't know, 2%, maybe less than that of, of non-collections. So, um, so that, that's one. Part two on the renovation side, so new building bringing to bring into market, absolutely seeing pressure on rents. So things that we we're probably 10, 15% downward pressure on new rentals. Uh, so it's a matter of, do we rent a unit or just keep it vacant for the next three or five months? We're running units. So we're saying, okay, we'll get them in and at that point we'll be able to increase rents. So definitely seeing rent pressure. Um, people seem to be a lot more picky. I think everybody's looking for it, not necessarily because they need to, but because they can, they're like, Hey, we're right in the middle of this. What are you offering? So, so we are offering some concessions here and there. Not a lot, but, but, but in order to compete, we have to. Yeah. Um, on the deal side, you know, real estate always operates a little slower. You see the activity in the stock market. It's pretty wild, but on the real estate side, uh, a lot of people are just saying, well, I'm not going to take a property to market during this time. It's a sign it could be viewed as a sign of weakness, which I could see that. But but we do have offers outstanding. And from a price level standpoint, for what we're buying, we're seeing offer we're seeing price points about that 2018 level on off-market deals that we're pursuing. So, you know, and, and what I would say is in q1 of this year early in q1 in january the price levels were so high it was really hard to find any. so from an investment standpoint it's actually you know promising seeing what what's uh what, what appear to be willing to sell okay How
1: so is this going to affect your activity going forward let's just say six months a year down the line
2: yeah so we think um Again, we're were bullish on buying good assets. Uh, Again, that raising capital goes right in there. Uh, And and over the long run, we know that rents will be lower over the next, who knows, could be 9 to 24 months. Yeah. But there continues to be a housing shortage in the markets we operate in. Building new projects in the marking in the markets we operate in are extremely hard. Permitting processes take years, so there will continue to be a housing shortage. Uh, and and we're again we're in really good location. So we feel like over the course of this fund, um, things will be good. But certainly there's there's a lot of deals right now that that have come to market.
1: Okay. What about okay. on the actual fund itself? I mean, if, a, if an investor is reviewing this and if an investor is looking at your deck and, and everything looked promising, you know that the first question they're asking themselves is what's the fundamental risk to them, right? If right. you were to highlight maybe one or two things that would be the fundamental risk to their strategy and to your strategy,
2: what would that be? Yeah. So, so I think our biggest risk is uh, uh, rent pressure. Uh, now, in the region as a whole, it's rent pressure. So, so, so payroll has been increasing fairly flat. I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't increased too much, certainly with inflation. And if yeah. you look at rent growth, rent growth has been on a tear. It's been yeah. staggering. So, but, but this, this, what we're going through now, didn't, we, we had the concern ago. So this is not a new concern for us. Yeah. Uh, but uh i would say when we're underwriting we stress test and we look at stuff okay what happens if the rents dropped 20 to 30 percent where are we and and we wouldn't buy anything if we couldn't sustain that kind of drop so so we're thinking about that i don't think it's on the lending side the banks have done pretty well uh with lt ltvs you know our fund our fund two, our LTV is, I think, below 50%. Actually, I know it is. And in fund three, it's about 30%. So we have extremely low debt levels across the board. And that's one of the other things, you know, we talk about yield. If we were to uh, increase our debt levels throughout the portfolio, our yields would be 15 to 20% but we're just not going to do that because if we did something like that, we couldn't withstand any drop, whether it be rent, uh, vacancy, non-payment. I mean, the list can go on. You're mitigating some of those risks risks for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. We're, we're, we definitely account for, for that in our underwriting. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, that definitely, definitely sums things up. Um, one of the things that I also heard Merriman say was that, part of your strategy is tax advantage. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because you know now that because of all the capital gains that are uh, available for the investors, they're looking at strategies that are 1031s. They're looking at opportunity zones. Each has its own different advantage and disadvantage, but how is yours different and and how is it an alternative to some of the, the strategies that
2: are out there right now? Yeah. And I'm going to qualify this. I'm not a tax accountant. Uh, but you know, we've had plenty of discussions with our CPAs and if you think about it at a high level, so we're operating this, this real estate and we have this non-cash expense called depreciation, which is amazing, right? So we're able to depreciate and pass these K ones off to our investor group and they show this ordinary loss, but they're getting all this cash distribution throughout the year. So the ordinary loss goes against their ordinary income. And then when we sell something, they have capital gain. So they're offsetting capital income. I mean, they're offsetting their ordinary income at their ordinary rates. And then they're, you know, when it's finally time to pay taxes, they're paying on capital gains. So um, that's just a good thing across the board. Does that affect your yields ultimately,
1: or do you not consider that into your calculation? Yeah, it has no
2: impact on yields.
1: Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in terms of, you look at investors what are your strategies on raising the capital because sometimes investors want to know if you're working with third parties
0: yeah so i mean the the biggest thing for us when we're looking at folks uh is you know are they aligned not only with our strategy for the fund but um also with you know just how we want to grow as an investor and or as a company i'm sorry um, and you know, a, a good example, I think is, you know, I probably turned down over $10 million of investor capital last year because they wanted us to go do one-off deals, okay. side deals, right? Mm-hmm. And not, um, you know, and not put the money into the fund. And, and that's just not aligned with what we're trying to do, how we're trying to grow the business. Right, and it's and I don't, you know, we don't believe it's fair to the existing investors that are in the fund, right? So, you know, we put a lot of our own personal net worth into these funds, and you know, we believe in what we're doing, and we want the distributions just like any other LP. So, um, you know, that's 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 where we, I think, differ in some, and you know, we're we're going to be picky and grow. We would rather grow slower and grow the right way for long-term success. Um, than just try to get in a bunch of money quick at any cost. I think it's actually pretty important to highlight that actually,
1: because the fact that you're willing to turn down money, protect the existing investors and also keep things um, you know, the same for them, that, that definitely is an important
2: aspect. Yeah, so I was just saying, uh, if we had a hundred million dollars, we would just, if we look at the three buildings we have right now, the Santa Monica building and the two Long Beach buildings, all in prime locations, once those are stabilized yep. in about nine months, they'll be generating about 12% yields <clears throat> going out to the investors. So, And then those, we're not going to sell them right away. We're just going to keep them and keep distributing the cash. Those are going to grow about 4.5% annually, 45 to 5% based on rent growth. Rent growth is in the 2 to 3% range. So if you look at the yields, by the time we get to year 7, 8, nine and ten they start to approach 20 percent and that's really for us the holy grail so you have these investors that came in and we have a two-year window to raise capital and the rest of the fund is just to generate yields on that capital right so so these three buildings are going to be kicking off almost 20 percent a year Mm -hmm. that's that's it And, and and then and then you get to the point where you have this goose it's laying golden eggs you really want to sell it why would you want to sell it maybe do a cash out refi but you know the charter of the fund is at some point to sell the assets off and return investor capital which we'll do and it's always painful to sell these good assets when they're producing so much cash flow but that's basically it so it's a very it's it's a really simple model now it's complex finding the deals and obviously getting the investor capital in but but we know what to do with it uh, Merriman go ahead Yeah, the the, the devil is in the execution, right? Um, And that's why,
0: you know, we're very transparent in a lot of what we do and uh, doing the tours and that kind of thing. And to tie into what that investor profile looks like that we want to work with is really someone that believes in the strategy that Lujan just described, right? When I'm talking to somebody and they're really pushing on, well, man, you should sell that in, you know, a year, 18 months and turn it and do this and that and the other thing. You know, those are red flags for me that, you know what, this guy is not aligned and he's not going to be happy. We, we consider ourselves opportunistic sellers. Uh, we'll sell, but the price needs to be right and it needs to be at a premium because if you take an asset that's generating, you know, 10, 12, 15% beyond yield and you sell that thing, I mean, they don't just grow on trees. It, it's hard to find those assets and you also disrupt your cash flows and there's other negatives to it um people that are too caught up in just kind of that turn and burn mentality that you know we consider flip a four-letter word so people that are too caught up in that uh that's typically that's typically a red flag for us okay yeah we're not we're not